Well, good morning, Coastal Church. It's uh, good to see you all this morning. Man, it's so good to be back. I missed you guys last week, and, uh, you know, I'm not a weather forecaster, and I had to decide Saturday night what we were doing, and, of course, I canceled the weekend service, the Sunday services, and then, you know, it wasn't much more than a rainstorm on Sunday morning. So anyway, I hope you all did well through Sandy. Do me a favor. We're going to jump right in. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. That inside of your bulletin is a handout, and uh, you can follow along with me there. And uh, while you're turning, uh, I want to do just a little bit of church business this morning. One of the things I wanted to present to you all for prayer uh, is that in the last year, one of the uh, visions in my heart for Coastal uh, was for us to give a little more attention to our process for developing authentic followers of Christ. Now, uh, that's, a, that's our vision at Coastal. We want to grow people to be followers, authentically follow Jesus Christ. And we do that in three ways at Coastal. We do it through, let's see if some of you all know, we do it through Connect, grow and serve, right? And so this past year, I really wanted to give a little more emphasis and attention to the area of serving God at Coastal. And, and we do that in two ways. One, we wanted people to have an opportunity to serve God through the ministries of this church. And so uh, Bethany Lay came on and she's been helping us shore that up. Uh, as a part-time staff member, uh, how we could get people serving the ministries of Coastal. The second thing I want for us to do, it's always been in my heart to really continue to pursue, is to serve the missions of Coastal. And I don't want to be a church that just uh, strokes a check to missions, although we do that. Uh, in fact, we make sure that 10 cents of every dollar comes into Coastal goes to supporting missions uh, that don't directly influence Coastal Community Church. But we also want to be the hands and feet of Christ. And, and as we grow, there's a a lot more missions opportunities bubbling up through the hearts of some of our church folks. And so uh, we're trying to figure out you know, how do we process these and how do we unleash the church to do missions, not just be, you know, stroke a check, but to do and be the hands and feet of Christ. So all that to say is I'm going to begin pursuing a part-time missions director. We're looking for someone that will come in and, and help administrate that, uh, oversee the budget, as well as unleash us as a church to give you all and give us opportunities uh, to do missions and to be a little more organized. So be in prayer as we search for that person. And, you know, one of the things is I've always announced these things to you guys is, uh, man, it's been really cool to see God build the, the team of staff members here at Coastal. And we have a church, you, got, you have a great team of leaders and volunteer leaders as well as staff members. And, and I hope you'll continue to pray for them and support them. And I know through your prayers, God will lead us to the right person. Okay. Does that sound good? Uh, I'm really excited about that. And, and maybe you're here and you're like, man, I might be interested or I know someone might be interested. You know, contact the office, have them send a resume and we'll start that process with them. Okay. So good stuff. I'm going to be doing over the next couple weeks, a series on hymns. And the, this is kind of birthed out of this idea that uh, God has uh, been gracious to me and kind to me and allowed me to, uh, to, and allowed us as a church, but to go down onto some of the local campuses as the Lord has expanded our influence with some of the college students to speak at some of these campus ministries like Ivy and Crew and FCA and some others. And what has been interesting to me is I've had these opportunities is as I run and I hang out with these college students, and even this morning, you know, we allowed Joel, who's one of our college students, to kind of give direction to the music. It's these students love the hymns 
of old, right? In fact, we sang two of them this morning. In fact, the Son of Man, is that an old hymn? I don't know. Or is that remains? Anybody know? Anyway, that was the opening. So maybe we sang three this morning. And, and what, I always want to grab these college kids by the neck, except they're bigger and stronger than me. But I want to grab them and say, you know, we fought long and hard to move away from the hymns, you know. <laughs> Churches split over this stuff, you know. Now you're kind of bringing them back around. And, and so I began to ask the question, like, why is it that some of these hymns have been around for three or four hundred years, and, and we just keep singing them over and over and over? In fact, the one we're going to look at this morning has, has been sung by four or five generations of grandparents and then parents and then kids. We gather corporately and we sing them together. Uh, the one uh, we're going to look at this morning, my wife didn't know what it was. She leaned over and she said, are we doing this one? I said, no, we're doing Amazing Grace. And she goes, oh, man, that was my grandfather's favorite hymn, you know, and then we're going to sing it at the culmination of this. But, but there, there's a deeper issue here this morning, and it's, and it's something that God has been stirring in my heart, and I think he's been stirring in our hearts as a church. And the issue is praise. And, and God has been convicting my heart in a new way of the importance of this time that we gather and we sing praise to our God. And, and it's not something, churches, you come in here and, and listen, we talk behind the scenes about tempos and the organization of the service and, you know, making sure that it's got a good flow and it engages us. But it's bigger than that. It's bigger than a tempo. It's bigger than a timing. It's bigger than a beat. It's, it's an opportunity for you and for me as a follower of Christ to sing praise to our God lifted up from our hearts. I was reading this week in Psalm 147, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praise to our God and how pleasant and fitting to praise Him. Church, we have an opportunity when we gather corporately to lift with our voices words to God that give Him honor, glory, and praise. And here's this strange thing that God has orchestrated this praise time that we use. As we sing praises to God, doesn't it do something to your own heart? It's this crazy dynamic. It's like the more I give praise to God, the more I feel filled with the good things of God. You would think that if you're giving praise away, that your heart would be more empty when quite the opposite happens when we sing praise to God. And church, I see that kind of swelling in our congregation. I hear you guys coming in and, and I, I see that, man, you're, you're coming and you're enthusiastic and you're ready to praise him. And sing praise to him. And one of the reasons I want to move us in the, in the direction of a missions director is I believe as we go out into the community and we do the work of Christ, we'll come back in here corporately and we'll be more excited as we see him work in our community. We'll be more excited to praise him with our lips. Does that make sense? And that's why I want to see us go that way. And, and at Coastal, when we choose a song, we don't just choose a song because it's got a snappy beat. Although we do talk about that, but we want to make sure what you're singing has truth in it. Because I know one thing as a pastor, I've been here for 12 years, you won't remember a thing that I say when you leave this room. But you'll remember the words to songs, yes? And that's a good thing, and that's okay. And so we want to make sure that the truths of the songs we sing are filled with truth about the character and the work and the person of the God that we worship, so that you remember those songs and you sing truth all day long. Songs have an incredible power. Advertisers have known this for years, right? 
I mean, you're going to know some of these. Ready? And like a good neighbor, Dave Arm is there. Josh, there you go. I just helped out the business. All right, so. Oh, I wish I was an Oscar. I can't believe you all just said that in church. I mean, that's awkward. That's very awkward, right? By the way, that, is that the craziest jingle in the world? I wish I was an Oscar Mayer wiener. That is what I... Who says that? That is the <laughs> weirdest thing. All right, now I did this one last night. It didn't go over so well. I picked a Journey song. Let's see, and they didn't know it. Let's see if all y'all know Just a small town girl in their lonely world. They didn't know that. I don't, maybe they thought we're in church. We're not allowed to say that. All right? <laughs> and she took the midnight train going... Anywhere, right? And so music has this very powerful thing, man. We just remember the words. And the danger is, and, and I, I always go, I'm not one of these guys that says it's secular music and it's, and it's Christian music. That's, I don't believe that. I believe there's truth and untruth, okay? That's why a, a person that maybe isn't even a believer can write a song that has truth in it, and we, we sing it, and it's a good song. Why? Because it's true, right? One of my favorites, I don't know if this person is a believer or not, but I love the old country song, man, Live Like You're Dying. Why? Because that's got some truth in it, right? Count them. We talked about this in the Shock Series. Number your days and live accordingly. There's truth in that. And so this morning, we're going to look at a guy by the name of John Newton. John Newton was a slave trader. John Newton made his living selling people, if you can imagine that. Right? It grieves your heart. And, and John Newton had a little bit of Bible training, but not much. And he got himself all tangled up in this very dark and sinister world of making a living, buying and selling individuals. And on, and on one shipload, cargo load of people on his ship, they got tied up into a, a storm. And he was quite certain that he was going to die at sea. And John Newton, he, he cried out. He said, God, have mercy on us. That was his prayer. He didn't know what else to say. He didn't know what else to pray. Well, God had mercy on them in that voyage. They got home, and God began to do a work in the heart of John Newton. And John Newton repented of his past, and he, he began to, he began to be, be a pastor of a church. And... And in that, he began to be a songwriter. In fact, I was, as I was do, doing some history on the song Amazing Grace, I, I, I realized that one of the things I read is that John Newton re, wrote, almost wrote a song every week. And I said, isn't it interesting? We only sing one of his songs now. You know, I was like, I guess if you throw enough mud against the wall, eventually something sticks, right? You know, but, you know, but he, you know he, he wrote songs, and he became a songwriter. And if you know the story of John Newton, right, I mean, his, his influence as a pastor, as a songwriter, it, he influenced Wilbur Wilberforce and many other men and women who began to work to abolish the very thing that he made a living in and, and got, helped get rid of this scourge of, uh, of slave trade and removing this horrible way to make a living on planet Earth. Of course, it still goes on today, and as followers of Christ, that should justice ministry should be a part of what we do. But, but, but John Newton was a changed man, and, and in understanding why he changed from the inside out, he wrote these words. Ready? You can say them with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was, but was blind, 
now I see. Four or five generations of families have kind of held hands and sat in rows and gathered corporately and sang these songs. You know, if you're if you're here today and you're investigating the claims of Christ, it's an interesting thing, the words of the song Amazing Grace. You can, you can go into the community, and even people that don't go to church, haven't been to church for years, they know this song. This song has permeated. Why is it? Because there's this word inside the song, Amazing Grace, that isn't taught in any other religious structure around the world. It's the word grace. It is grace that separates Christianity from every other religion on planet Earth. Did you know that? Every other religion that has been birthed and ultimately either been birthed from demons and Satan or out of the heart of man has everything to do with earning the favor of the God that you worship. It is only Christianity that it is grace and grace alone that we get to enter the presence of the God that we worship. C.S. Lewis went to a think tank one time, and he was asked, what is it that separates Christianity from every other religion on the earth? And in this think tank, they were throwing out things like, well, the, you know, Christianity is different because God became man. And C.S. Lewis said, no other religions have this thought that God became man. And he said, well, may, and then they started thinking, and they said, well, maybe it's the concept that God died and came back to life. And C.S. Lewis said, no other religions have this view in their religion. He said, it is only Christianity that understands that our relationship with God is by grace alone. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10, I want to look at that this morning. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works. Guess what? So nobody can brag about it. It is grace alone, church, that gives us our special favor with God. And this gift of grace is 100% free to you. The word we use in church life is the word salvation. And if you remember during my shock series, we talked about mortality. And, we, and in that, we learned that the reason that we have physical death is that the wages of sin, our sin has earned us something. It has earned us death. And the Bible is very clear. The wages of sin is death. But salvation or being saved, if you will, from the penalty of our sin. By the way, when you read your New Testament and you come across the word saved, I want you to begin to tack that on in your thinking. Not in the word of God, but in your thinking so you have a good understanding. We are saved from the penalty of our sin. And this salvation, according to the New Testament, is free to you this morning. You know, maybe you're here this morning, man, your life is tangled up in a mess. I want to encourage you with this. The Bible says to have a relationship with God. It's not about doing and getting your life straight first. It's about having a relationship by, with, to, with God by grace alone through faith alone. This past summer, I did a series on parables, and we went through the parable in Matthew chapter 20. It's one of my favorite parables in the New Testament, and the reason it's one of my favorite is it took me so many years to understand it. I didn't understand the parable that Jesus taught. He said, you know, there's a landowner, and this landowner went out into the marketplace, and he hired a man to work for him at the beginning of the day, and he said, listen, why don't you work for 12 hours, and at the end of the day, I'm going to give you a day's wage, or in Bible times, it was a denarius. He said, I'll give you a denarius. The landowner goes back into the marketplace a couple hours later, and there's still some men that don't have employment. He says, listen, why don't you come and work for me, and at the end of the day, I'll give you a fair wage. That's all he says. And then he goes back about lunchtime, and there's still some men that don't have work. He says, why don't you come work for me, and I'll give you a fair wage. And he goes back about three in the afternoon. He says, why don't you come work for me, I'll give you a fair wage. He goes back with one hour left in the workday. He sees some men still don't have employment. He says, why don't you come work for me, and I'll give you a fair wage for your day of work. At the end of the day, the landowner lines them up, starting with the man who worked one hour, going all the way to the end to the men that had worked all day. 
and the landowner begins to dole out payment. And first comes the guy who works an hour, and he says, here, I'm going to give you a day's wage. I'm going to give you a denarius, right? Then the guy that worked three, the group that worked three hours, he says, here, I'm going to give you a day's wage, even though you only worked three hours. Gives him a day's wage. And he works his way back. Now, the man who had bored the work of the day, had worked 12 hours, worked through the heat of the day, worked through lunch, worked through brunch, worked through break time. As they see the guy that worked for one hour, and he got a day's wage, what do you think they're thinking as they make their way up? I'm going to get more. Time and a half, right? Double time. They get up to the table, and the landowner gives them a day's wage. And they begin to grumble. And what do you think they say? What do you think they say? That's not fair. At the end of that little parable, Jesus says, Jesus is basically saying God is the landowner, takes over, and he says, listen, am I being unfair? I told you I'd give you a day's wage. That's what you get. And for years, I read that story, and I'm like, that doesn't seem fair. I kind of am with the guys that worked all day, right? I mean, what's the deal? Until I understood this. It's grace. The message of that parable is grace. And what God is teaching, what Jesus is teaching us there, is that we are the ones who stood there and worked one hour but got a day's wages. And we take our hour, we get our day's wage, and the one who bore the brunt of the day is God's son, Jesus Christ. And we, by grace through faith, get all the blessings of Christ because of nothing we have done but because of the goodness of our God and his son, Jesus Christ. Grace is free to us. But here's the incredible thing about the God we worship. It costs God everything. Grace is free to you, but it came at a high cost to God. Now, God has several characteristics that at times can appear to be in conflict. We know they're not, but they appear to be. The first thing is God has an incredible love and passion for people. Jesus, one time in Luke chapter 15, was asked why he hung out with such scoundrels. Why didn't he hang out with the church people, is what he was asked. Those are the good people. Why don't you hang out with the good people? You always seem like you're hanging out with the bad people. And in Luke 15, Jesus goes on to tell three stories to help uh, illustrate why he loves people. He tells the story of the lost sheep. He said, which shepherd, if he doesn't have 100 sheep and one of them strays, he doesn't go and he searches for that one sheep. And then when he finds it, he grabs the neighbors up and he said, listen, I had a lost sheep and guess what? I found it. And by the way, you're here this morning, and God is beginning to draw your heart and bring you home into a relationship with him. The Bible is very, very clear. All of heaven rejoices when one lost sheep comes home. And we, as a church, that's the kind of church we want to be. We want to celebrate when people find new life in Christ. That doesn't mean that long-time believers don't count, but it means that we're on a mission. By the way, the church is the one place on planet Earth that doesn't exist for itself. It doesn't exist for its members. It exists for the ones that aren't members yet. That makes sense? We must always have the eyes and the heartbeat of Christ to say, man, people matter to us. They matter to God, and so therefore they matter to us. And he tells the story of a lost coin. He talks about a woman who had, who had 10 co- silver coins, and she lost one. Instead of saying, well, I still got nine. I'm not going to worry about it. She begins to tear the house apart, right? I did that this week. It wasn't over a silver coin. It was when I couldn't find the remote control, right? And I mean, I started tearing through the couch. I had it all separated. I'm yelling at the children and getting the dog out of the way, you know. Where's the remote control? You remember the days when you had to get up and change the channel? My dad had a remote control before anyone else did. 
years ago, before it was invented, he'd say, son, get up and put it to channel 13. You know, that's how, that's, that was his remote control, right? And she's searching for that one coin. When she finds it, man, she celebrates. I had, I, you know, I lost a coin, I found one. And then Jesus tells a story about a lost son, right? You know the story, we call it the prodigal son, where the son comes to the dad, I want my inheritance early, he goes out, he squanders his inheritance party, and, and eventually a recession hits, he's poor, he's in a pig pen, he's feeding pigs, and he's so hungry, he says, man, I wish I could just eat what the pigs are eating. And it's one of my favorite verses in all the New Testament is when the prodigal son says, the Bible says, and when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses, he said, you know what, my, my father's servants have it better than this. I'll just go home and just request to have a job. I'll say, I no longer deserve to be your son. Just have a job. And, of course, you know the story, right? And it's a picture of our heavenly father. The father's sitting on his porch. He sees his son a long way off. And it's the only time in the Bible we see God run. God doesn't run because he's scared of anything. God runs to his lost children. And he runs and he puts a robe on his son. He says, my son that once was lost is now found. He throws a party for this son. Before the son could even get his rehearsed speech out, the father was celebrating. We have a God that loves people. But we also have a God who is holy. And he's separate, and his holiness demands justice. Our God is completely just. There's no sin in the, in the presence of God that will go unpunished. I want you to imagine for a moment that in our community there was a local judge, and every time that judge saw a case, because he was loving and because he was kind and because he was tenderhearted, he just let the criminals go. Think about that for a minute. You ever had your house robbed? right? It's, it's violating. And so your house gets robbed and that person, they catch the person, they come before the judge, and the judge goes, well, I'm, t- I'm, I'm loving and I'm tender and I'm kind, so you're free to go. Imagine if there's some pedophiles. Local teacher, right? Local coach, whatever, local pastor, those things happen, right? Comes, oh, you're free to go. After a while, you'd be like, wait a minute, that's disturbing. By the way, God is taking us to a place that's going to be perfect. And you know what he can't let into that perfect place? He can't let sin into that perfect place. Anybody in here ever tell a lie? So did Adam and Eve. And look how that brokenness and that sin spread through generation and generation after generation after generation. Led to a world of brokenness. God is taking a place where that place, that can't exist. So if you're in here this morning, you've ever told a lie or fudged the truth or made the story a little bit bigger to make yourself look a little bit better. Guess what? You don't get to go to heaven. Because God is just and he's going to punish holiness. So the question is, if God loves us and God, and God is a gracious God, how, how in the world does his justice and holiness mean? Well, this is where the cross comes in. The cross is where love and justice shake hands. The cross is where God satisfied his need for justice and holiness by substituting his one and only son, his perfect son, who bore a penalty he didn't deserve so that we can stand before a holy God completely clothed in the righteousness and the good works of Jesus Christ. And when you correctly understand the grace of God from the position of God, not from your position, But from the position of God, you understand that the free grace, which is given to you by grace through faith alone, costs God everything. High cost to God. And so this concept of grace before a holy God, substituting God's son, Jesus Christ. Why, by the way, at Coastal, if you're new here, we lift up Jesus a lot. 
He's our Savior. He's the one that bore the penalty of God's holiness and God's justice for us on our behalf. And we believe the words of the Apostle Paul that says, Now the grace of God is given to us by faith alone. Which leads to my second point. This grace that you receive is by faith alone. Now let me tell you something about biblical faith. Biblical faith is not head knowledge and facts. See, a lot of you sit here this morning and you think, man, I've got, I've got the facts of the gospel, and so I have faith. No, biblical faith is more than that. Let, let me ask you this. I, this morning, I, I, brought, um, I brought five bucks, all right? How many in this room believe I might give this $5 away? How many believe that? Two. I, you know I'm tight, okay? I'm, I'm a tightwad. This is the most costly illustration I've ever done, okay? So... All right, I'm giving this $5 away. Anybody want to come take it? It's yours. <laughs> Jeez, all right. <laughs> Scott, who invited you today? All right, just kidding. We love people. All right. Four people went for it. One got it, okay? What's the difference between the person that received the $5? Now, there was a lot more hands that went up when I said, how many believe I'll give it away? A lot of hands went up, I believe. All right, but there were four that were willing to come and get it. Two almost hurt themselves. Okay, so <laughs> that is a picture of biblical faith. If our faith is a bunch of facts, but we don't ever move and engage and 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 move towards righteousness and holiness, then all we have is a bunch of head knowledge. And there's a big difference, biblically speaking, of what we, what faith. What we believe in our mind is facts, and what we do with our lives. Faith is always a movement towards the things of God. Now, some of you said, yeah, I believe you'd give that money away. You didn't get up because you were a little embarrassed. Maybe if it was a $50 bill or a $100 bill, right? You know, and I get that, okay? But some of you in this room, and you haven't moved towards the things of God because you're too embarrassed of what people are going to think around you. Some of you in this room, you realize, man, if I really give my life to Christ, if I receive this gift of grace by faith alone, if I really, I mean, I understand that that's going to be a life change. There's some friends there that I'm not going to be able to hang out with anymore. There's, I, I may have to deny a lifetime of things that I've said that I believed, and I would have to admit that around some people, and so I'm a little bit embarrassed about that. And so you haven't yet received the grace of God because of your pride, some of you have yet to join a church or be baptized. We're going to be doing baptism in a couple of weeks. Man, I, I love baptism. You know why I love baptism? It's when people stand in front of us and declare the lordship of Christ in their life. And I love that because I'm like, of all the things we do in church life, man, that's a biggie for me. I think it's a biggie in the New Testament. And so, you know, some of you have yet to move with God because you're worried about what everyone else will think. And John Newton went on to play a huge part in abolishing slavery. Why? Because he wanted to earn God's favor? No, because he understood he had received grace alone through faith alone, and therefore he was motivated to serve God here on planet Earth with all that he was. He was free because of grace, and he was free to die to himself and live for the things of God. Faith, biblical faith, always works itself out in a hungry pursuit of the things of God. And biblical faith is always a conviction of the truth. Church, we do not have faith in faith. It's not something you muster up inside you and feel. Faith in the truth. Let me give you a couple truths. 
First of all, faith is agreeing with what the Bible says about us. That we're sinners, that we're helpless, that we're hopeless, that we're in need of a Savior. Faith is agreeing with what the Bible says about how we're saved. It's not because we do good works. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Faith is agreeing with what Jesus says about who he is. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the what? Truth. And I am the life. Listen, by the way, maybe you're here this morning and you're looking for purpose in your life. And you've been trying to figure it out, maybe in your occupation or in various relationships or maybe drugs or maybe party or whatever. You're looking for life. You're looking for, and Jesus said, listen, if you're looking for life, I am the way to life. I am the way to truth. Then he says this, very exclusive claims. And, and by the way, this, this does not sit well with American culture. If you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to be very careful. There's this, there's this subtle thing that is undermining the truth. And there's this su- subtle cultural shift that says, hey, what you believe is okay. And by the way, we never are to force our beliefs on anyone. We are to love people. We are to self-sacrifice and love people unconditionally. That was the method that Jesus used. However, we do have to cling ideologically to truth. Because Jesus says, no one can come to the Father except through what? Me. These are incredibly exclusive claims. Jesus never ran around and said, all paths lead to God. Just be sincere in your faith. And so if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ and you believe the teachings of Christ, this is what he taught. Faith is agreeing with what Jesus says about who he says he is. Faith is agreeing with God on how we have a relationship with him. Faith is agreeing with the truths of how we have a relationship with him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. Lord is what? Lord is a position. Well, a lot of times we think that when we read the New Testament with Jesus Christ, our Lord, we think that's first, middle, and last name, okay? Jesus is God's son's name. Christ is a what? Anybody know? It's a title, which means the anointed one, the special one sent from God. And Lord is what? It's a position that, that Jesus takes up. And so next week, when we do two weeks, when we do baptism, all right? These are people saying, hey, Jesus is my Lord. I'm confessing with my mouth. I'm letting my church family know. It's a public profession of faith, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? What's it say? Saved. Saved from what? The penalty of your sin, okay? For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, it is by confessing with your mouth that you are, there it is again, saved. Saved from what? All right, let's all do this together. I want you guys to get this. Saved from what? The penalty of my sin, okay? And so our faith is an active believing and a conviction of the truth of God. And I could go on and on. And the final thing that Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 tells us is that this grace that we receive by faith alone is an opportunity to show off God. It's an opportunity to show off God. Uh, I, I, uh, how many of y'all like to camp? How many of y'all like to camp? Okay, so those of you who raise your hand, so let me get this straight, all right? You, you enjoy leaving your technology behind, like running water, okay? I mean, you enjoy leaving electricity, 
right? And you like to go live in something that has no ability to adjust the heat or the temperature, right? You enjoy that, right? You like to cook over a fire. Did you know that humanity moved away from cooking over a fire to a thing called a stove and a microwave, right? Anyway, I hate camping, right? Last time I went was with our student ministry about eight or nine years ago. We went to this thing called uh, creation. I don't know if you've ever been to creation, but it's like where 100,000 Christians get together. It's like a Christian Woodstock, for lack of a better word, and you camp, right? And, and, and so it, there's like 100,000 people, and it's hot, and there's porta potties, and you know, I mean, it's just the place begins to stink. And I couldn't tell if it was me or the porta potties that I was smelling after a while, right? And so here's what I did every morning I get up, there was no place to shower, the smell was terrible, and I would just get deodorant out in hopes of covering things up, right? You know, and, and if you know anything about deodorant, deodorant doesn't work if you already stink, right? I mean, it, people can smell that a mile away, right? The intermingle, right? Deodorant really only works if you first clean off, right? And then you put deodorant on, and then it, it works well, or it should. Okay, some of you, I don't know. But anyway, just kidding. And that's kind of the point of Ephesians chapter 10. We don't leave here and go, hey, my good works earns God's favor. The good works is an outgrowth of what God has done. And so Ephesians 2, 9 says salvation, this is in the NLT version, says salvation is not a reward for good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. So, so what about the good works in our lives? Well, look at what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says. Paul here says, you're saved from the penalty of your sin by grace alone, through faith alone. You connect to God through faith, and your faith is an active believing in the truths of God. Okay, But he says, I've done this for a reason. And verse 10, I want you to hear this. this is, to me, these are some of the most encouraging words in the Bible. For we are God's, what? Masterpiece. I mean, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that he planned for us. Long ago, church, get to look this morning at God's masterpieces. Every single one of you, as a follower of Christ, is a piece of artwork that God wants to display for His glory. And as your pastor, I stand up here and I'm in awe. Because I know some of your stories. This past Friday night, we had our small group over, some of the college students, and we cooked out, and we did the Lord's Supper together. And then after the Lord's Supper, my wife gathered some, some of the girls together that are in doing art at the local college. And she went, and she got my six-year-old daughter's sketchbook. And she says, oh, we've got an artist in our family. And she went and got my six-year-old daughter's sketchbook, and she began to show off my daughter's artwork, right? 
and the college students were really gracious. They were like, oh, that's awesome. Like, that's going to end up in the Smithsonian, you know, or something. Like, I don't know if that's true or not. It's close, okay? And uh, I'll tell you something. That's my kid, and every time she draws a picture, guess what I do? Whoa. That's incredible. I mean, incredible. And in my house, that sketchbook is a masterpiece. And when you come over and you look at it, you better ooh and ah at it too, okay? Like, whoa, your daughter's amazing, right? That's the word picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you think you go out of here and earn God's favor because your works are worth something, you've sadly mistaken. Your words are worth something because of what's happened internally because of the grace of God received by the faith of God. And when that happens, God says, before the world began, I planned some good works for you to show off my masterpiece to a watching and waiting world. Pretty incredible, isn't it? Some of you in this room, you doubt that. Because in your heart, every time you think God's about to show off his masterpiece through you, you go, Pastor Sean, you don't, man, I, I've never told this to anybody in this room, but man, I cheated on my wife. Like, I know that's in there, and God could never, and he, blah, 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 and the enemy whispers in your ear, I've got one word, I've got one phrase for you, a couple verses. It is by grace, through faith. You are God's masterpiece. Some of you in this room, you think every time you hear these messages, your heart begins to stir. The enemy comes and says, if they only knew how much money you gambled away. And God would never use you because it's by grace, through faith, you are God's masterpiece. Some of you in this room, every time the Holy Spirit begins to stir about the good things inside of you, how God wants to show off his glory through your life, the enemy whispers, don't ever tell anybody you had an abortion. Don't ever tell anybody that. I got news for you. It is by grace, through faith, you are God's masterpiece. Some of you in this room, every time God begins to stir, the enemy whispers, they only knew, man, you're a drug addict. I've got the message of the gospel for you. It is by grace, through faith, you are God's masterpiece. And God takes the sketchbook of your life, warts and all, and he says, check this out. Let me show you the works of my kid by grace through faith. And when you understand the amazing grace of God, you'll be able to sing with this church through many dangers, toils, and snares. I have already come. It's his grace that brought me safe this far. And it is grace that will lead me, what? Home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for grace. And God, every single one of us in this room has a past that would embarrass us. 
But God, by faith, we accept the truth of your word that you use broken people to display your glory. God, we're going to stop buying into the lies of the world and the lies of religion and the lies of our enemy and the lies that keep creeping into our hearts and we are going to trust the truth of your word. That you take really broken people and by grace alone, through faith alone, you display your glory and you, because of Christ and because of the cross, you lift up your masterpiece and say, check out what my grace can do. God, is because of that story for three or four hundred years, we gather corporately in your churches and we sing amazing grace. Sweet the sound. And it saved a wretch like me. Thank you, God. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'm going to change things up. Okay. I'm going to change things up, okay? Ushers, if you guys brought an offering this morning, you'd like to give to the Lord as an act of worship, you guys just stand at the door, okay? We're going to do that on the way out. We're going to go out singing this morning um, because I sense in us this room that we just need to sing to God's amazing grace, yes? And, um, and so if you brought an offering you'd like to give to the Lord as an act of worship, do that on the way out. Uh, we're going to close with two songs this morning. We're going to close singing Amazing Grace and Our God Reigns. He reigns over sin, he reigns over death, he reigns over our lives when Christ becomes our Lord, and, uh, and you're his masterpiece. And so church, I want you to sing to him, and I want you to go out this week, and because of his grace through faith, I want you to display his glory by serving God, by serving others, because our God reigns. Let's close with singing this morning, Joel.